Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Welcome to Superhumanize. And if you've been joining us for a while, welcome back. Today, we're honored to host Danielle McKinnon, a renowned animal communicator, intuitive, and author celebrated for her pioneering soul level approach in the realms of animal communication and intuitive coaching. Danielle's groundbreaking work transcends the ordinary, offering us a glimpse into the profound spiritual connections we share with our animal companions. Author of best-selling books, Soul Contracts, and Animal Lessons, Danielle has elevated the discourse on interspecies communication, exploring themes such as the language of animals and animal afterlife. Her teachings have earned her recognition as a top psychic medium with a client base that spans over 60 countries. In today's episode, we delve into the heart of these connections, uncovering the spiritual and intuitive bonds that link us with the animal kingdom. Whether you're a seasoned pet lover, someone seeking spiritual enrichment, or curious about the unseen threads that connect all beings, this conversation with Danielle is a journey of discovery and inspiration. Join us as we explore these mystical and soulful dimensions with Danielle McKinnon, a true visionary in the field of animal communication and spiritual growth. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting-edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Danielle, welcome to the Superhumanized Podcast. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited for this time together. Me too. Animals and the animal world and natural world has always been so near and dear to my heart. And so I'm yeah, really been looking forward to this conversation. And the first question, of course, that popped up in my mind was, for you as an animal communicator, how did you actually discover your ability to connect with animals on such a deep level? Oh, this. Okay. Yes. It's, it is important to know because I never planned on being an animal communicator. I planned on being a writer. I planned on being a veterinarian. <laughs> so I went off in, in another direction. Obviously, I'm still helping animals and I'm writing books, but I always loved animals. I was definitely the weird one in the family. I was definitely the one who was too sensitive. The My family was, Danielle, try to be normal. They never said the word normal, but I definitely got the feeling of, Danielle, tone it down. <laughs> you don't know what your hamsters are thinking. Just try to just walk the dog on a leash and be like everybody else. That So it was a little challenging. I bet you can <laughs> relate to that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time trying to be regular, trying to blend in. It really never worked. I, I it, there's nothing I can do. It's it's not who I am. I am me and me is me. It took me right. It took me a long time to realize that. And in realizing that, before I realized that, what happened was my dog got sick. 
And she was at the vet for four days. And we didn't know what to do. My husband and I were at a loss. We had a $4,000 vet bill. They were doing the all those tests and the scannings and the images, all of that stuff. And nobody could figure it out. My friend said, why don't you take her to the pet psychic in town? And first of all, I was like, there's a pet psychic in town? And then second of all, I was like, wait, there's a pet psychic at all? This is real? (laughs) So then I ended up taking my dog out of the vet, grabbing my husband and driving the next day to the conference where the pet psychic was or animal communicator, same thing. And it was, we got a reading in the parking lot of that conference. And he was able to tell me that my dog was saying that she'd eaten corn cobs and that's why she was sick and that she had eaten the corn cobs because she was anxious since my husband and I had been fighting about my mother. And we had for a week, we'd been fighting about my mother-in-law and it had been tough because that mother-in-laws, they're tough. (laughs) But there was no way he would have known that. There was, for me, I was so on the edge of just hoping and wanting this all to be real because it seemed like something I could do, even though I was told it wasn't real, that I just had to have the beginning part of that reading. And that was it. That changed my life. I was in the world, the corporate world in marketing and event planning, and I was really good at it, but it didn't make my heart sing. So as soon as I heard about this and I went and saw it was real, I was like, wait, not only is this real, I think I can do this. I took class and then pretty much immediately started my business. (laughs) That's amazing. And your doggy was fine after? Yes. Yeah. She passed the corn cobs and she was fine. She lived to be 14 and a half. Wonderful. (laughs) I always forget that part. Yes. (laughs) And so I'm curious, once you realize there's something to it, this is real, this resonates with you, just a basic overview. How do you actually go about learning about this? I I took that class. where I realized I could already do this. And that's something I teach in my classes because that's my favorite thing now is to teach people animal communication. My favorite thing to share with people is that everybody can do it. We're all born able to do it. We just shut it down or like in my family, we're told we're weird or that's not real. And we spend time trying to fit in. We all have this innate ability to connect intuitively in general and also with animals. Was that what you were asking? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Okay. And then, so, uh, so once you actually realize, or you realize in your case, that this is something you want to do, can you just give me a brief idea about what kind of exercises or practices there are involved to actually reconnect with this, something that's actually innate in us? So how do we reconnect to that? So it's actually not hard. Because, and this is what in all of my classes I do, I I teach people, here's what we're going to do. And then I basically throw them in. (laughs) And it's when you're thrown in, you start pulling on what is already there to do it. I give the structure, but that ability is already there. So once the structure is there, people feel more safe and comfortable to pull on what is already within them. But it's really it's a hard thing to do 
because we're providing, when I'm teaching, I'm providing a structure to something that you're just doing in your head. (laughs) But that structure gives people courage and it like organizes the intuitive energy because they know then we're going to look in this way. We're going to feel in this way. Like people have to know how the information could possibly come in as well so that they don't just discount it. I meet a lot of people who are trying to learn animal communication from me who, or who are thinking about it, who think they are just really good with their pets. They know their pets so well, and that's why they're so in tune. And they don't realize that they're actually picking up on intuitive messages from their pets. They're not really that smart. They're connected in with their pet intuitively. And so what would be one way, for example, so for our audience to understand, so the structure that you provide and what you just mentioned, which I think is crucial to actually learn to how this information comes in, because a lot of us are disconnected from it. And so what are ways that this information, for example, would come in and how can we own that? Or how can we just, for starters, become aware of it more? So a good way to become aware of it is just to know what it is, like how it could possibly come in. So for let's just talk visuals for a moment. A lot of animals, they want to connect with us through the areas that we're most open. A lot of people are open um, visually, meaning their third eye is open, meaning they're going, they're sensitive to colors. They're sensitive to how things look. If you're a person like that, probably your third eye is open and the animals are going to look at you and be like, look at her. Okay. We're going to give her some pictures and they can give pictures. And a picture would be a, a very quick flash. So it's not a picture that stays there and hangs in the air and you're looking at the picture. It's a very quick flash and then you recall the picture. They could give a picture that's actually a little mini video. So the little mini video could be just a little mini video of a tail wagging. Just wag, that's it. That's all you saw, it was very quick. What they don't usually do is they don't usually communicate with us in a big, long, drawn-out video. But we think from TV that they do. You know, you see Ghost Whisperer, which I love watching that show, Ghost Whisperer, because it's easy to watch. But she will have a psychic vision that she's having a back-and-forth conversation with. It's going on and on. Animals don't really work that way because their vibration, according to them, is actually higher than our vibration because they've mastered unconditional love. So in order to connect with us, they have to dip down to us because we haven't mastered unconditional love yet. So they're quick. The All of the connections and the, intu- the intuitive data that comes in, they're, they're quick little blips versus this big, long, drawn-out thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And that, yeah, that actually tugs at my memory of some things that I've experienced. Uh, could you share a specific example or a story of a profound connection you've experienced while communicating with an animal to illustrate that there's so many because they know they know how to move us and they know what to say in order to get us to react or have the emotion or the experience they want us to have i can give you an example of my dog kelso when he was getting ready to pass, 
I didn't know he was getting ready to pass. My husband and I left him at the overnight vet so that because he just had surgery and we drove home and thought, okay, he's going to stay there overnight. We'll pick him up tomorrow. But as soon as we get home, he is, we get a phone call and they say, we're doing CPR on him. He's had, I think it was a heart attack and you need to come back immediately. So we drive back and my husband and I are thinking, okay, we need to rescue him. We need to save him. This is, we got to get back as soon as we can. They should keep doing the CPR. And then while driving, I had this visual that came from him because I'm connecting with him while also freaking out to see, is he okay? What's going on? And I also didn't completely trust my own intuition because this is an emergency situation. It's my animal. I'm attached. We're driving and the visual comes in when I connect with him and I see him laying on the floor and there are people around him, but I see him also up above his body. And I knew what that meant. I knew that actually meant, hey, he's not in his body anymore. He's got to go. And so my husband's driving like 90 on the highway to get there. And I go, wait a minute. I see him. He's looking like this. This He does not want to be in his body. We have to let him go, which was a big, a very profound moment for me to trust the visual, especially in a life and death situation with my own animal with other people's animals. I trust because I'm not attached. Mm-hmm. I told my husband and he said, okay, if that's what okay. So we called the vet. We had them stop doing CPR and we did finally arrive at the vet and we were there for his last breath. And I knew that was the way he wanted it because that is what he showed me. Yeah. Oh gosh. I vividly imagined the situation when I, I'm guessing even if you're able to have such a close connection with your beloved animal companion, it's likely still doesn't make it easier to let them go in a sense. Or how do you deal with that? I deal with it on two levels. There's the part of me that knows how animals feel about crossing over. There's the part of me that knows that they plan their crossing over. They orchestrate things behind the scenes. So we're there or we aren't there. So they cross over of this versus this. Like they they put that whole plan together based on the job they've done here in their life with us. When they feel they've completed their job, I understand because they've told me over and over that they know that it's time to go and they put the plan in action to make that happen. So the intellectual educated part of me knows from connecting with the animals that this is how it is. Mm -hmm. The intellectual educated part of me also knows that they're not suffering on the other side, that there's only love there, that it is their, their soul's version of perfection, love, home, and unconditional love. Like that, that that's what is happening for them there. But then there's the human part of me. And the human part of me is, but I miss him, but I want him back and I don't like coming home. And that's my, my Danielle part that feels sad. The part that doesn't come up because of what I know about animals and how they are about the afterlife is I've become very good at not going into guilt. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, when their pet crosses over, they have the grief but they mix it with the guilt. I wish I could have done more. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. I should have done, you know, all of that human stuff that comes from us not having mastered unconditional love. 
I have become good at keeping those separate and understanding, hey, this is my human part showing up here. This is my intellectual educated part. And then this is my Daniel part that that misses him. Yeah. And are there, when you lose a pet, that's losing best friend, family member, this soul that you've had such a wonderful connection with, oftentimes for such a brief amount of time compared to our human lifespans, which are also brief, but then our pets even shorter. Are there any specific practices or rituals that uh, individuals who've just lost their beloved pet can engage in to honor and to connect with the spirit of the animal that has passed away? So it's interesting that you ask that because we, as humans, we want a ritual. We want something we can do to honor them, to show them how much we love them, to make, but those are usually to make us feel better. When I connect with animals on the other side, they're always like, whatever makes you feel good is what I want you to do. But the humans, but I need his favorite blanket. I need to put it on the altar in this way. And we have to go, the humans coming up with all this stuff which is all awesome stuff. If it helps that person move through this grief process, there's no way to shortcut that grief process. It's what you choose to do that helps, but nothing's going to shorten it. Nothing's going to make it go away. The animals, they just want us to feel the connection with them from the other side. So one thing that I always advise people who are missing their pet that has crossed over is to actually talk with their pet that has crossed over in a back and forth conversation, even if they can't hear that pet. Meaning, instead of saying, I miss you so much, I wish you were here, I I don't coming home, are you around me, what can I do? And not leaving any like spaces for the pet to respond, have the conversation and leave the actual blank spaces there for the pet to respond. What can I do to feel better? Sit in that silence for a moment, give the pet a moment to respond. And maybe that pet's going to respond in a visual, a sound, a thought. A lot of the time pets from the other side will give you a really good idea about something and it just pops into your head. We think it's us, but it's actually the pet doing it. But having that space for the back and forth, we forget in our grief or our guilt, and we tend to fill those spaces. We tend to just keep talking without leaving moments for the pet to respond. So that's what I would suggest for someone who's in that grief place. Mm, that's beautiful. And that would be a beautiful uh, practice to engage with as well. Like, I think that would be profoundly healing. Um, as far as uh, animal communication I would like to know what are some common misconceptions that people have about this and how do you address those in your work? Okay. Common misconceptions. One, I think that a lot of people think you need to have a photo Mm -hmm. and you don't. So when I teach it or when I do it, you can, you just need one data point. So if Jane was coming to me to read her dog She could say, could you connect with my dog, Chloe? She could hand me a picture of Chloe. She could say, could you connect with my dog? (laughs) She could also say, could you connect with my pet that I am thinking of? We just need to be able to grab onto one little connection point for the connection to work. 
But um, I think that there's a lot of people out there who get in their heads when they learn it. I need I I need it to be like this. I have to always have the photo. I have to have this. And none of it matters. We just need, if we trust, we just need that one little connection point. Another misconception would be that once the animal's crossed over, you can't connect. I would say half my work is helping people reconnect with their pet that has crossed over. In fact, when animals cross over, that tends to be the time when people are most open to learning animal communication. And they'll often credit their pet that crossed over with being the one to get them into learning it so that they could then reconnect with their pet on the other side. Another misconception would be, and this, I had this when I started, I was like, I am going to do this thing and I'm going to have this business and I am going to mind control psychically all of these animals to make them behave. So I thought I could do an animal communication reading and I could tell that dog to stop barking at those people. And I could tell that cat to start using litter box. I don't know what, why would I ever think that was a thing? <laughs> because even people, you can't just go to them and tell them to do something and they're going to do it. <laughs> so, so with the animals, that is not what animal communication is about, especially soul level animal communication, which is the type of animal communication I do, because it's based on the idea that animals have mastered unconditional love and they are incarnating here with us to help us, the humans, grow and evolve and come closer to mastering unconditional love. It's not about mind control. It's actually about receiving the wisdom from the animals, understanding why they're doing what they're doing. How are they helping us in this moment? Even when we're upset with them, they're still intending to help us. So I would say that is probably the biggest misconception that if you go to get an animal communication reading or you learn animal communication, you're going to have complete control over your animal psychically. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great misconception to clear up. And I love what you just said about the growth, the wisdom that we can receive from the animals that we have the privilege to having in our lives. So I'd like to talk a little more about this. What are some ways in which animals can assist us in our personal and spiritual growth? I wrote about this in my animal lessons book. I put together a whole process for doing this and I'll explain it because you're asking the best question ever. (laughs) Basically, if we consider animals to have mastered unconditional love and we consider them to be beings that are our teachers then, because they're way ahead of us, right? Animals don't feel badly about themselves. They don't have low self-esteem. They don't fail at trying to get the squirrel and then think they're bad coyotes or whatever, right? I'm a failure of a coyote. They don't think like that. We think like that because we don't hold unconditional love for ourselves. So if we look at animals as being our teachers, that means every single thing that an animal is doing is actually meant to help us grow and evolve. How do we as humans grow and evolve best? We don't grow and evolve well when everything's awesome. We don't wake up in the morning and say, today is so glorious and wonderful. I'm going to make a whole bunch of really deep soul level changes. (laughs) Instead, what we do is we change and grow when we have to. So a lot of the time what the animals are doing is they are misbehaving in our lives or they're causing some type of like strife. So that we are feeling an emotion 
something is coming up for us, they're bringing that up for us. So if you look at when I was first doing this, when I first started my business, my dog, a different dog would jump up and down all the time on people. And when she jumped up and down all the time on people, I was embarrassed because I was still like, if I'm a good animal communicator, I should be able to psychically mind control her (laughs) into not jumping up and down. And it was really affecting this belief that I have that I am not good enough. Mm -hmm. And so she knew this at the deepest level, which I call the soul level. She knew this. So what she was doing is she continued jumping up and down until I started to learn that I was good enough, that her jumping up and down wasn't related to me being a good animal communicator or a bad animal communicator. We had incredible other discussions and connections with each other, not related to that. So that was my homework with her, was having these other connections so I could see it's not about me mind controlling her. It's about me learning from her. As I learned this and my confidence in my animal communication skills grew, she jumped up and down on people less and less. Now, this is an 85-pound dog. You don't want her jumping up and down on you. But she she jumped up and down on people less to the point where when she passed, she was not jumping up and down at all. She would bring people her teddy bear. So the lesson she was teaching me was how to believe in myself. The lesson was about believing that I am good enough. And I started to realize that her jumping up and down had nothing to do with me being a good animal communicator. This was her way of drawing the attention to this challenge that I was having. As I believed in myself more through the connections we were having, her jumping up and down, and she's an 85-pound dog, you didn't want her jumping on you. (laughs) Her jumping up and down decreased to the point where when she passed many years later, she would just bring you her big teddy bear when you walked in the house. And that was how I knew that I had come through that lesson she was teaching me. But that's also how I knew that it was her time to go because she was no longer working on that lesson. Yeah, I've noticed myself with our, we have a little four pound Yorkie that thinks he's 400 pounds. And I've learned so many beautiful lessons via him. And I really feel I'm a better person for taking care of this tiny, huge little one. (laughs) And do you find that the lessons are all centered around the same idea? Like in my experience, they're not teaching us this lesson over here and this lesson over here. They come down to the same central theme. They just find all these different ways to help us learn that. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. I've never thought about it in this way, but it could be centered around the idea that I am capable of taking care of another being that is in my care. It's mm. not, not like an adult who can also take care of themselves and call 911 or whatnot, but I can take care of another being and it's a beautiful thing. It's not a burden. And the yeah, so maybe I'll sit with that, but that's what pops up in my mind. They usually, when they're teaching us these lessons, the lessons are the umbrella is unconditional love of ourselves. And within that, I can usually fit the main lessons into four different lessons, believing that you're good enough and awesome, believing that you're deserving and worthy, believing that you're lovable, or believing that you are safe, supported, and protected. So usually when those lessons are coming up, 
they fall, you could find the pathway of how they fit into that lack of unconditional love for ourselves. Yes. I think <laughs> what just popped up for me would probably fit into the, I am good enough. Yeah. You know? That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> that's a big one. It's a big one for me. <laughs> Very big one. Still working on it. Every and That's okay. Something that also comes to mind is when we look at the animals in our lives, we're blessed with having animals in our lives. How can they serve as mirrors or reflectors of our emotions and energetic states? This is a great question. It comes back to what I was talking about with them teaching us these lessons. They teach us these lessons in one of three ways. You're talking about mirroring. So somebody will say, come for a reading and they will say, I don't know what to do with my cat. My cat is nervous all the time. When people come over, they're hiding. What do we do here? And then I talk to the cat and the cat's, look at my human. Look how nervous and anxious my human is. I'm showing them what they're like. <laughs> and mirroring is a really popular way. Another way though is modeling. Mm -hmm. So the person brings their dog to me and says, their dog is so lazy and never wants to get up and do stuff. And what do I do? I think he's depressed. And I talk to the dog and the dogs look at my human. They never stop. They are anxious all the time. They are not slowing down. So in that instance, the dog is modeling. Here's the behavior that you can and need to learn. Mm -hmm. The third way that animals work through the lessons is, have you ever had an animal in your life where you felt like a love, like you've never felt for any other being ever. You trust this animal, you share your secrets, you know that they are reliable and they are there for you forever. And it's like you, you feel for them in a way that you've never felt for another human. That's the best way I can describe it. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the time, when an animal, when we are having that experience with that animal, it's because that animal wants us to learn how to love and how to receive love. Mm -hmm. So often we are more comfortable in that situation with an animal than in that situation with a human. So the animal is, I'm your starter. I'm going to show you what this is like. I'm going to show you what it's like where you can actually feel like you can totally depend on another being. And as we get that lesson, the love deepens, it becomes wonderful, but then at some point that animal has to leave so that the person can then go on and experience it with a human. Yeah, I've seen that also. And within my close circles, individuals who, for example, had not experienced love, not even maliciously, but just grew up with parents who did not know how to verbally or also physically express love towards their children, even though they took good care in other ways of them. And so I'm thinking of one particular person and that person never was comfortable expressing love to significant others or even accepting it when they would say that to them. And through a little dog, that person experienced just unconditional love and it's changed their life. Yes. And it's it's a beautiful thing. And I think animals, I know that animals can, they have an ability to sense and also respond to us energetically 
And I would like to hear from you. Kev, do you have maybe an anecdote, an example of how animal, how an animal has demonstrated its ability to respond maybe to an illness or an energetic imbalance in a human? Oh, they have demonstrated responding to an energetic imbalance. Mm. So what I find is that everything they're doing is a response. Mm -hmm. So if I'm your rabbit, for example, I'm looking at you and I'm going, okay, what does she need? How can I help her? Where's the imbalance? How can I teach her and show her? So I, I wouldn't even just say there's one example. It's it's every interaction we're having. Even more importantly, the animal is doing this at a very deep level. So maybe you're having a few bad days in a row the animal may not address those few bad days in a row because they're looking at the overall big picture. They're looking at what does she need to really finally believe that she's good enough no matter what does what can I do to help her do this. So sometimes that will come about through a sickness, meaning the animal becomes sick and the animal becomes sick as a way to draw the human's attention to something. Hmm. So a lot of people will not make changes in their own life to create balance in their own life or have self-care for themselves. But when their animal gets sick, what happens? They're like, all right, I am willing. So we have to sit in meditation for 20 minutes together to help his blood pressure. Then I will do that. Like they are willing to do all the stuff that they were not willing to do for themselves to help their animal. So I think that's what you were talking about there. Like, how does this work? If we consider every single thing that animal is doing as something intended to help create balance, harmony, happiness, and growth within us, it actually makes the relationship a lot easier and a lot less tumultuous because we're no longer taking it personally. Now we're moving into, all right, what can I learn from this? Why is this here? What can I do in this moment? And you also speak about the concept of soul contracts between animals and their human companions. How can you do a little deeper dive with us into that? Yes. So everything I know from my connections with animals and what they've shared with me is that we, our souls, before we incarnate, are like, hey, like my soul. In this lifetime, I'm working on believing that I am good enough. That's I came in with a pretty big disbelief and over time I'm getting better and it's becoming smaller and moving more into I'm good, I'm awesome, but there's still some of that belief there. My soul knew before incarnating that, hey, I need to put together some help when I incarnate. So all of the animal souls in my soul family that were going to incarnate at the same time got together with me and they were like, hey, I'm going to help you. I will help you. I'll show up. I'm going to help you learn this lesson. We're all going to work together. We're going to make this thing happen. So that is a, an agreement that we make before incarnating. What is not decided is how that animal is going to help. Meaning, where will I be in my soul's evolution in this lifetime when that animal comes in? All that's known is that animal's going to help me. It might be in a small way. It might be just in a passing moment, or it might be like, this becomes my soul dog, as people call them, or my soul cat or, or whoever it is. But all that's known is that animal is going to assist me in this big general lesson. You can't miss, 
you can't screw up. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. So often we worry that I didn't get the lesson from my pet or I didn't do a good enough job or I should have done this. And we have to step back and trust that this is all supposed to happen. We don't know to the degree that it's supposed to happen, but the connections are supposed to happen. We're supposed to have some challenges. We're supposed to go through these experiences so that we can learn. But I think the biggest piece there is that we decided this before. We decided this with these animals before we came in. And as we work on mastering the lessons that our, our pets are here to teach us, that we already said we were going to work on before we incarnated, <laughs> as we work on those, the other animals that aren't yet in our lives are, are aware. At the soul level, they're aware. So maybe that animal hasn't been born yet, or maybe that animal's down the street with the neighbor and you don't even know that animal yet. But that animal at the soul level is completely aware of where you are in your soul's evolution so that when they do come into your life, they know exactly what to do. That's beautiful. So I know that there is very likely, and at least part of the audience, there's also the scientific mind popping up <laughs> and they were probably like, all right, Danielle, are there scientific studies or is there scientific evidence uh, that you know of that supports the idea that animals can communicate with us on a spiritual level? There, I do believe that there is. And I know I heard about some people were doing experiments to show, hey, this is real, that the animals responding, we're really getting this information. But for me, I haven't delved, I haven't gone down that road. What I find is that once people get in there and play with it, the need for that other evidence piece, which totally legit. My husband is a scientist. <laughs> he took a long time to come around to this being real. He was supportive, but he was, huh? <laughs> and it wasn't until he actually experienced it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until he did his first reading and then got the information correct that he started going. Actually, it wasn't until the 2011 Stanley Cup finals. That's when he came around because I knew he, he was still struggling with Ken. He, he was even like, is intuition real? But the, his team was in the Stanley cup finals, which is hockey. And I kept knowing who was going to win. And so that's when he came around to, okay, because it was affecting his life. <laughs> you know, he, he knew when I walked out of the room, it was because they were going to lose. So then he started saying either you, I couldn't come in the room at all or talk to him during a game or I had to sit there quietly the whole time because <laughs> he didn't want me to mess it up. So what I find is totally understand you asking that question. I haven't personally gone down the road of looking for that because I haven't needed it. It's more been my experience. And, and what I find is people who take that leap of faith to be like, I'm going to try, they stop needing that. Most of them. I'm sure there are. I haven't run into anyone who has tried, but then wanted the scientific piece, but it's maybe it's the people who try that are more easily able to let go of the scientific. I, I don't know. I could just be like, that's the pool of people I'm drawing from. <laughs> yes. And it's one of these things. I believe it's when, when you haven't experienced it yet, it's harder to wrap your mind around it, especially yeah. if you are more geared towards a, the paradigm of you want scientific proof and studies something that's really fascinating to me it's a little bit of a tangent but there's this beautiful book by a gentleman 
Jeremy Narby. I think he's an ethnobotanist. And he is he wrote a book, The Cosmic Serpent, where he spent quite a lot of time with indigenous people in the Amazon. And this is not about animals specifically, although they do also talk about animals. But one of his questions was to the people who were medicine people who knew exactly which plants to put together with which plants. And and he's, how do you know from all the countless plants in the Amazon, how do you know which plants specifically to put together with which ones and then brew them in a certain way to actually get that effect? And the answer was the plants communicate with us, which at first he was didn't understand. But as he spent more time, he actually went from the place of not understanding to the place of knowing. Yeah. So, yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. And with regards to the wildest fish specifically, are there any mm, different or specific techniques or exercises that a person can use to connect with the wild or non-domesticated animals in a respectful and meaningful way? It's a good question. I teach people how to do both. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is you have to get good at doing the domesticated pets first because domesticated pets are used to our human energy. Mm -hmm. They're used to us being all over the place. They're used to us having expectations. They're used to they're used to us not necessarily managing our energy. A lot of people when I'm teaching them animal communication, they bust in, they connect with their first pet, and then they're like, hey, I'm here. Tell me everything. And pets understand that we're like that. Wild animals, they will be like, you go deal with yourself and then come back. The What I would say to someone who wants to connect with a wild animal is you have to be very grounded and very small in your energy. And I'll use this example of my own mess up around this. We built this house a few years ago in the middle of the woods, and there's so many deer. And one day we were standing out there on the driveway. It wasn't really a driveway yet. And I was upset because of paint colors. Like, what? come on, paint colors. I was crying, I don't like the paint color. And filling a house is hard and you cry about, or I cried about dumb things. So here we are, my husband's hugging me and I put my head up and I look and there is a buck about 30 yards away. And it's just standing there looking. And I say to my husband, Kev, there's a buck. And so he comes out of the hug and we're both standing there. And I have the bright idea, wow, I'm going to connect with this buck. So I go and I close my eyes and I connect him for a second. And the buck goes and does a big snort and runs away. <laughs> so my mistake was here I was just crying I'm not managing my energy I'm overly excited to connect with that buck I know but the buck was like yeah that's absolutely not Danielle <laughs> just kindly as a buck can do gave me the message so mm. you want to be sure if you want to have any type of connection with wild animals that you're keeping your energy to yourself mine was like rushing out to the, <laughs> you're keeping your energy nice and small and allowing them to come to you energetically. We can't push that connection. They have to lead it. Yeah, that's great. Danielle. And it's basically also part of being humble within 
creation. Something I noticed that we also, where we live in a canyon, we have deer around and coyotes and raccoons and hummingbirds. It's really beautiful. So what I've noticed that when I am in a very heart-centered space with a very calm and very loving energy, I've noticed that a few times over the years that Wild animals actually, they come close. They're you know? attracted. Yeah. Whether it's a lizard, whether it's a bunny, whether it's also a big buck that we had standing right in front of the garage. So when I am in that space, the animals, they it's they feel drawn to it. So it's no wonder when we're there with all our human ads and our emotions and our mess, and they're like, hey, animal, here. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking about connecting in a, in a respectful way and being aware, this is a life question. How can individuals support an advocate for animal welfare and conservation efforts through their spiritual practices and also daily choices? One of the, I'm going to continue on with where, with this, because you're, it's perfect what you're asking about. The foundation of everything that I teach is how we hold our energy in the natural world. So what you're talking about, which is being humble, which is not running forward with the energy, which is not having these expectations that nature, that animals are just going to be there and meet us and do what we want. If we go back to me saying, I can mind control the pets, that's crazy, right? It took me a while to learn what helping animals really is. So the animals have told me again and again, they don't want to be looked at as victims. Yes, they are in situations where they are being abused. They are in situations where horrible things are happening to them. They are doing this to help us grow and evolve. They are doing this to, in, to inspire certain emotions and certain challenges within us so that we step up and become better people and become better advocates. But we can't do that if we are in a place of, oh my, poor baby, they can't handle it because we're not in a place of strength and power within us. So when we come at it from a place of, okay, I am learning, I see what's going on, I'm in this instead of poor baby, oh no, they're all upset. It's like those, remember those commercials about animal rescue where the sad song came on, I would have to turn those commercials off because it would make me cry. It, it would bring my vibration down. And from that lower vibratory space, I can't do the work that I need to do. I have to be in this place of believing better in myself, managing my energy, feeling the power within so that I can connect in a way that works for everybody. When we connect from lack, it doesn't bring us what we're looking for. And so a lot of those animal rescue type places, yeah, they're going to get people responding, but we want people to respond from this uplifted place versus this, I have to rescue, the world's going to crash down without me type of place. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yes. Uh, I've uh, certainly also battled with that over the years, especially once you start informing yourself about what do my daily choices, what impact do they have on the natural world and animals? 
uh, on human beings because uh, everything is connected. What has been very uh, helpful to me and uh, positive for me, that was my personal choice. I am mainly plant-based in what I eat. So that's been very helpful for many things, not just on a for myself, for my personal health, it works really well for me, but also as far as I look at my ecological footprint, my impact on animals, or also the way that I choose to consume or not to consume. I'm certainly not a saint. I'm certainly not perfect at all, but to just keep certain things in mind and every little thing, every little decision matters. Or the choice could also be like every animal deserves love. The choice could also be my little Teddy, my little Yorkie. He's been with us now for 10 years. He's going to be 16 this year, bless him. And he came by a rescue organization. And that's not to say that you're a bad person if you get your pet from a breeder. Again, all animals deserve love and they're here also to teach us. Uh, but so these things have been helpful and empowering to me to also come from a place that feels good and loving versus feeling super down. And yeah. If they're here to inspire us to do better, I want to do better, do my best through that inspiration, not through desperation or upset. Yes. Inspiration versus desperation. That's beautiful. Yeah. Would you share some resources? Where could people reach you if they want to learn more about animal communication and deepening their connection with animals? Where can they reach you and what are your offerings? I made a little page for you. <laughs> it's called daniellemckinnoncom slash superhumanize. <laughs> so that's it's easy. And on there, I have a, you can get five tips to actually feel closer and connect better with your pet. There's a link to my new book, which is called The Incredible Animal Afterlife, What Your Pet Wants You to Know. And then I also have information there about my community. I have a community of people like us <laughs> who are who love animals and want to connect more deeply. I find that a lot of people who have this type of love for animals and connection don't have others who have that right next door. So I created this space. We do live webinars in there. There's readings and there's all sorts of things in the community, but it's um, basically a group of us coming together to feel safe, exploring animals, intuition, and everything in between. Wonderful. I'll make sure to also put that into the show notes as well as any social media links. Danielle, it's been such a pleasure to connect with you. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for sharing your experience and wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. For those of you who want to do a deeper dive and start optimizing mentally, physically, and spiritually, head over to my newsletter to superhumanize.com slash newsletter and sign up. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.